0: You are tuned to KVMR-FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. It's 6 p.m. Tuesday, April 26th. I'm Joyce Miller, and this is the KVMR Evening News. The California report travels to the Kern County town of Taft, built on fossil fuels. Locals are furious about Governor Gavin Newsom's promises of an oil-free state. They worry not just about jobs, but about an entire way of life. In regional news, a decision about the fate of the Nevada County Courthouse inches closer. Economic news keeps coming fast and furious. We've got analysis from Gary Zimmerman and Mark Cuneberti.
1: This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez reporting today from San Francisco. A bill is making its way through the state legislature that would allocate millions of dollars to help farm workers deal with the state's devastating drought. The legislation from San Joaquin Valley State Senator Melissa Hurtado would create a $20 million fund to provide monthly payments to eligible farm workers. The bill advanced out of the Senate Human Services Committee last week where Hurtado spoke.
0: With no end to the drought in sight, some farmers are having to make the tough decision to reduce planting and in some cases fallow portions of their land, leaving farm workers without hours or without work more than ever as they lose vital work opportunities. To combat this, we must consider new creative approaches to legislation that gets California farm workers the resources they need to meet their basic needs.
1: Now, if this bill is approved, eligible farm workers would receive $1,000 a month for three years, with the ultimate goal of lifting them out of poverty. To be eligible, at least one member of the household would have to be a California resident, working as a farm worker from March 11, 2020 until the first of this year. The household must also have received benefits under the California Food Assistance Program. Let's turn to energy. Governor Gavin Newsom has promised that California will halt all in-state oil and gas production by the year 2045. But the state is the country's seventh largest oil producer. So what might that transition look like, specifically in the San Joaquin Valley towns literally built on oil? Well, in this next story, Valley Public Radio reporter Carrie Klein traveled to rural Kern County to find out.
2: It's a Friday night in Taft. A small city perched in the dusty hills southwest of Bakersfield, and there's a standoff in front of the old Fox Theater. Think cowboy boots and ten-gallon hats and a sheriff's posse wearing gold stars.
3: Make sure those guys ain't
1: sneaking in on us anywhere around here. They might.
2: The tension builds, and then the bullets are blank, of course, and the whole shootout is a game.
0: Guys, put your hands up. Put your guns down.
2: It's a preview, in fact, of an Old West-themed festival that happens here in October. Brian Selman's playing the sheriff.
1: But it's just a really good time for everybody to get together and promote the town's history and the uh, oil industry.
2: The festival is called Oil Dorado because 100 years ago, this city was built on top of Midway Sunset, the state's most productive oil field. And today, locals will tell you the economy is still built on oil.
1: It made me who I am. I grew up here. Oil raised my family, gave me an education.
2: It's in your toothbrush. It's in your floss, in your basketballs, in your soccer balls. Oil means everything. Oil is a way of life. That's public relations expert Chris Lowe, dental hygienist Julie Ortlieb, and Josh Bryant, a city council member and school district executive, who all came downtown for the show. And so, with Newsom's promise of an oil-free California by 2045, locals are worried including Renee Hill. Taft is very upset by what's going on in Sacramento. Hill used to be on the city council. Now she sells antiques and flowers on the main drag. She loves this town of 9,000. I'm a Taft girl. My dad was a doctor here. I grew up here. But a future without oil? That might be progress for the climate, but it's hard for Hill to imagine. Taft will shrivel. I mean, I can't fathom what we'll do for ourselves. It's not just the billions of dollars in county revenue, the tens of thousands of well-paying jobs, or even the millions in oil property taxes that fund Taft's schools. Standing at a massive bronze statue of an oil derrick downtown, Taft Mayor Dave Knorr points out that oil companies support community events and workers mentor high school students.
4: The producers and the companies that are a part of it are much more than employers. They're community partners, and they have
5: their fingerprints on every beneficial program that takes place in this valley,
4: as well as in this community.
2: Many feel it's short-sighted, even foolish, to think we can do away with fossil fuel. Like Fred Holmes, the owner of a small oil producer. He argues that ditching California's petroleum is just nimbyism. We'll be exporting the industry, he says, to countries with fewer environmental protections and civil rights.
3: Us citizens, including yourself, we're not going to give up our energy. Are you going to give up your energy? (laughs) No, you're going to support Saudi Arabia.
2: Kern is also the state's largest producer of renewables. It's home to a quarter of our solar and more than half of our wind power. But as Noor told me later, those projects just don't create as many jobs as oil and gas.
5: That lip service about replacing the jobs that are being lost is just that. It's lip service. Those jobs And the economic impact to local communities are just as intermittent as the energy they produce.
2: Taft is still waiting for the so-called just transition to renewables that the state government has promised. For the California Report, I'm Carrie Klein in Taft. Support for the California
5: Report comes from the Wesley Foundation, investing in California's underserved youth. Stanford HealthCare. Alerting listeners to the critical blood shortage in the area. Now's the time to donate blood and make a difference. StanfordBloodCenter.org. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy harnesses the power of people and science to create innovative solutions for a healthy environment, just societies and opportunities for human achievement.
1: In a proposed settlement announced yesterday, the city of Anaheim may have to pay nearly $100 million in fines for violating a state affordable housing law. KQED housing reporter Aaron Baldessari explains, it's a signal that the state is serious about holding cities accountable if they don't make lower-cost housing available.
6: The state's Surplus Land Act requires cities to first offer public land to affordable housing developers. California's Housing and Community Development Department says Anaheim violated that law when it agreed to sell Angel Stadium to a private developer. Under the agreement with the state, Anaheim will have to put nearly $124 million toward building affordable housing both at the stadium and across the city. Megan Kirk-Kirby, Deputy Director for Housing Policy at HCD, says the proposed agreement means more affordable housing than the development originally envisioned we may
0: get double or triple the amount of affordable housing that would have happened otherwise. So from a housing perspective, this is a good
6: outcome. Anaheim Mayor Harry Sidhu welcomed the deal, saying it represents the largest investment in affordable housing in the city's history. The Anaheim City Council is expected to vote today on whether to accept the proposal. For the California Report, I'm Erin Baldessari.
1: All right, listeners, that's the California Report for Tuesday, April 26th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez reporting today from San Francisco. Thanks so much for listening and have a great day.
0: In regional news, if you've seen yard signs around town in support of keeping the courthouse downtown, you are no doubt aware that yet another study is underway to decide the fate of the historic Nevada City Courthouse. Ubinet.com hosted an hour-long webinar Monday evening to explain the process. Pella McCormick, Director of Facilities Services for the Judicial Council of California, explained that three options for the courthouse are under study. The three are Renovating the existing courthouse, replacing all or part of the existing courthouse on the current site, or building a new courthouse in a new location. McCormick said the project has been under consideration for more than 20 years. The current building on Church Street sits on a one acre site with 78 parking spaces. Under Judicial Council standards, it should have an additional 20,000 square feet of space on a four-acre site with 240 parking spaces. McCormick noted that the courthouse is a high priority because it is overcrowded, undersized, antiquated, seismically and mechanically deficient, and has issues with access for the disabled. McCormick also noted another safety issue that is being taken under consideration. One of the larger concerns is there is a lack of separate paths of travel for in-custody defendants, judges, court staff, and the public. So in the Nevada City Courthouse, the in-custodies cross paths with the judges, the court staff, and the, and the public, which, you know, depending on the type of in-custody defendant, it is not um, the practice. The study now underway began in July 2021. It will be presented next month to the Judicial Council's Court Facilities Advisory Committee. That body will decide which option to support. In a best-case scenario, once a project is selected, it could wind its way through the state bureaucracy and commence by July of next year. The members of the webinar panel indicated such a speedy process is unlikely. Nevada City has long advocated for the Judicial Council, also known as the JCC, to maintain the Nevada County Courthouse at its current location. That would be the outcome of options one and two. Option number three would be to build a new courthouse at a completely new location. How would the city react if the Judicial Council decided on that option? Dwayne Straser, mayor of Nevada City, had this comment
3: that point, we're going to have to regroup as a community, um, specifically city hall staff, engineering, planning, and uh, and then get together with the chamber and our, our business interests, all of our merchants, and see what the thoughts are. The JCC has been great. They've been great partners all of these years. They, they've listened to us. Um, but I do know, such as Sonora, for example, uh, not all in the community were happy. And I know some lawsuits were involved. Um, we were told by a supervisor up in Portola that a facility was built that still has not been utilized. That's the last thing we want. So I think if if three is chosen, we're not going to prejudge anybody, including the JCC. We're going to sit down with them and we're all going to weigh out their reasoning as to why they've gone to number three. Um, See if there is a way that we can address those concerns to uh, basically readdress why we think one and two uh, would be priority uh, for our community and go from there. But I think it's too early to assume anything, and we're not gearing up for a fight. We're trying to work with these folks, and so far they've been wonderful partners, and I trust they're going to continue to be.
0: The webinar is available to watch on Ubinet's YouTube channel. Turning to the weather, according to the National Weather Service forecast, our region is looking at continued dry days and mild temperatures. This evening, Nevada City and Grass Valley will be clear with a low in the mid-40s. Expect Wednesday to be sunny with a high near 67. Wednesday night will be partly cloudy with a low around 41. Tonight in Truckee and Lake Tahoe will be mostly clear with a low around 28. Wednesday will be sunny with a high near 57. Wednesday night will be partly cloudy with a low around 29. This evening in Sacramento and Woodland will be mostly clear with a low around 48. Wednesday will be sunny with a high near 78. Wednesday night, partly cloudy with a low around 47. You're listening to the Evening News on KVMR. On Wednesday, the Federal Bureau of Economic Analysis will release its estimate of the nation's first quarter growth rate. Also looming on the horizon, more interest rate increases from the Federal Reserve. KVMR's Paul Emery gets a jump on all the economic news in this chat with Gary Zimmerman.
4: This economic report is sponsored by Rick Kelb, wealth management advisor with Northwestern Mutual since 1983 on Spring Street, Nevada City at rickkelb.com. Uh, Gary, uh, lots going on in the economy since we last spoke a couple of weeks ago. How about some news on inflation and recessions and interest rates? And that should cover about everything, I think.
5: Well, where, where, where would you like to start? I guess not only uh, have we had a lot of important economic news in the past two weeks but you know there's also some more important data releases that will be out this week including the first estimate of the growth rate of the economy as measured by real gross domestic product or gdp and when i say real it's a it's a better estimate because it subtracts out inflation and so it gives us a a, dest- a real estimate of you know what was produced in goods and services
4: well why don't we start there gary um Tell us about the pace of growth for the economy in the first three months of
5: 2022. Well, on Wednesday, the Bureau of Economic Analysis will, will actually publish its first estimate of the quarterly growth rate for the first quarter of 2022. And I think the growth rate will slow substantially from the almost 7% growth rate recorded in the fourth quarter of last year, you know, and I've been looking at several recent GDP forecasts for the first quarter, um, and they're generally estimating growth at a little above 1% at an annual rate. And, you know, that's about half of the average growth rate for the U.S. economy in recent years. Um, you know, the average is closer to about a little under 2%. Well,
4: Gary, if you expect that the economy uh, grew much slower in the first three months of, uh, 2022. Give us a few reasons for the slowing.
5: Oh boy, Paul! There are, I think, several important reasons for the slowdown. You know, first, in the fourth quarter of the year, the growth rate was pushed up by a large increase in inventories purchases of goods for inventories, and that's you know likely a reaction to the supply chain shortages. You know, with COVID. Um, COVID. You had another wave of COVID in the first quarter. Um, so it's you know still wreaking havoc on the economy and, and supply chains, not as bad as before, but but it's still there. And you've got all of the disruptions and uncertainties now arising from the war in Ukraine and the international sanctions on Russia. Monetary policy has become more aggressive in increasing interest rates, or is, is expected to become more aggressive in increasing interest rates and those rising interest rates and Expectations of rising interest rates make you know investment in consumer goods like cars, refrigerators, big ticket items, mortgages, all, makes all of those more expensive and erodes purchasing power. And then you've got the inflation and especially the higher energy and food prices reducing other spending as, as we spend more on energy and food. And that, you know, that also is eroding purchasing power. So, you know, lots of things are going on there that are creating headwinds for the economy.
4: Okay. Well, since you brought up inflation, what do the recent numbers indicate and where do you see inflation heading for the rest of this year?
5: Well, the latest consumer price index rose at about eight and a half percent annual rate over the 12 months ending in March of 2022, and that's you know obviously way above the Fed's average two percent inflation goal. So the inflation rates remain high. They're they're not anywhere near as high as they were in the in the late 70s and and early 80s, but they still remain high. And uh, you know maybe that they're not rising quite as fast as they had been, but they certainly haven't started to subside in a major way either.
4: One more question. Um, You mentioned that the stock market is considered a leading economic indicator. Well, last Friday, the Dow Jones fell almost 1,000 points. Could that be signaling (laughs) a recession by any chance?
5: Yeah, let's start with one of the factors pulling down the Dow Jones Jones Industrial Average by roughly 1,000 points. Uh, That, of course, is the day that the Fed Chair, Jay Powell, indicated that the Fed is likely to raise its target overnight interest rate by a half a percent at their May meeting rather than just a quarter of a percent. And I think that also got markets to thinking that the Fed is likely to Want to do the same thing? Raise it by half a percent in in the June meeting as well to get you know tighten monetary policy a little more aggressively and and faster than um, most folks were thinking about um, not very long ago. So you know it looks like the Fed is getting you know more aggressive about raising interest rates to try and cool off the economy, which is you know now at full employment at three point six percent and trying to start to bring down the inflation rate back towards that Fed two percent you know average goal.
4: Well, Gary, there's a lot there, <laughs> a lot there yeah. to look at. Thank you so much. Okay. Thank you, Paul. Pleasure. Gary Zimmerman is a retired senior economist for the San Francisco Reserve and currently is a visiting professor at the Vienna University of Economics and Business in Austria, where he teaches courses in economics and finance.
0: Massive sell-offs continue to plague the stock market in today's Money Matters. Host Mark Cuneberti wonders how many bitter pills investors will have to swallow until the worst is over.
7: Welcome to another edition of Money Matters. My name's Mark Cuniberti. Friday, April 22nd, the Dow lost almost 1,000 points. We had not seen that bad of a day since March 2020 when COVID hit the United States and indeed the world. Keeping in mind after that similar day in March 2020, the Dow screamed back even higher soon thereafter. Investors might take heart knowing that bad sell-offs can be followed by equally eye-popping rallies. Not to say the pain is over, as there are usually reasons for massive sell-offs, and this one crash is no exception. The Nasdaq actually started its slow-motion crash late in 2021. In my opinion, the sector represented by the Nasdaq simply got too frothy, and it finally reversed as investors took profits. That was followed by investors finally taking notice, at the start of 2022, of the inflationary forces that had been accelerating for about a year consumers likely knew prices were jumping more than usual. You would have had to live on the moon not to notice that. But in the market, fear tends to surface all at once and can come to a head in a horrific crash on any particular day that no one can predict detailed in numerous money-matter shows and articles that i have done and shouted from the rooftops on many news media outlets inflation has been getting worse for months and it's only a matter of time before the federal reserve detailed in numerous money-matter shows and articles and shouted from the rooftops on many news media outlets Inflation had been getting worse for months, and it was only a matter of time before the Federal Reserve decided to do something about it. Originally believing it was transitory... In their own words, mind you, inflation was actually just getting started, and similar to other times in history, the Feds were late in correctly assessing the severity of the crisis. Fed speak soon hit the news wires, and they warned a reduction in quantitative easing, which is just money printing, was coming. They also revealed an increase in interest rates by them was to be undertaken. The news prompted the first sell-off beginning in January of 2022. The market anticipated the usual one quarter, Quarter percent increase in interest rates we had often seen in the past. Once that bitter pill was swallowed, the market somewhat stabilized, only to be rocked again when the feds upped the ante and started talking about one half percent increases. Investors appeared to shake that off after another market setback, and then the Ukraine problem hit the wires. The first few weeks of April offered up some hope with some green numbers bouncing the markets, and indeed, many key metrics signaled the worst might be over. The market looked like it had somewhat stabilized until the Feds once again raised the stakes and mentioned the possibility of a three-quarter percent increase. Subsequently, and hence therefore, Friday, April 22nd turned more than ugly. Investors likely saw red in their portfolio balances and probably more red than they have seen in a long, long time. Keeping in mind no one can predict market movements at any time, we can only guess as to what will happen next. Will we once again wash the bad news down with the elixir of time and see the markets rebound or will the carnage continue and test the March lows once again which would be another 900 points or so in the downward direction or could it go even lower we won't know the answer until it is well in our rear view mirror of course one thing is for certain inflation is bad and getting worse Ditto for the Fed's interest rate forecast. Keep in mind the Feds haven't even done anything yet. So goes the effect of interest rate announcements on the market. Sometimes the anticipation of the event causes more damage than the event itself. The key to the whole thing will be how inflation responds to the Fed's actions and whether the Fed's current plan of interest rate increases does the trick or if even stronger medicine may be needed sometime in the future. That's it for today's Money Matters. The views expressed are my opinions only and do not represent those of any bank, investment firm, or registered investment advisor, nor this media outlet, its staff, members, or underwriters. I hold a Bachelor of Arts in Economics with honors in 1979 and hold California Insurance License OL34249. Our website is moneymanagementradio.com. Always saying thank you for listening to your community radio station. My name's Mark Cunaberti. Thanks for listening.
0: That's our newscast. Coming up next at 6.30, an all-new episode of Embracing the Journey, our local exploration of issues in death and dying. Tonight's topic, how poetry can support us in grieving. Host Lori Burkhart Frank's guests are award-winning poet Jenny Chi who holds a doctorate in the biology of cancer, and Eliza Tudor, executive director of the Nevada County Arts Council. At 7 p.m., it's Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. KVMR Community Radio gets support from Ghost Town Woodworks, sustainably sourced woodworking in Grass Valley, handcrafting artisan furniture, tables, and slab flattening, utilizing native and exotic wood. Table designs are featured at Fable Coffee and Heartwood Annex, Nevada City. G-H-O-S-T-O-W-N dot net. And All Phase Heating and Air Conditioning. Family owned and operated for over 20 years. Reminding listeners of the importance of servicing air conditioner and filtration systems. Located on South Auburn Street in Grass Valley. All Phase Comfort dot com. This is Joyce Miller signing off. Join us Wednesday evening for another edition of the KVMR Evening News.